Hello, everyone, and welcome to Storybook the Podcast with Heidi Spear and friends. I am so excited to introduce you today to Jeremy Rocksmith. He's the executive chef at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, and he just published a book called The Kripalu Kitchen, Nourishing Food for Body and Soul. This cookbook has 125 revitalizing recipes from the famous yoga and wellness retreat. My favorite recipe in there so far is the ginger almond broccoli salad. I feel like I can eat it any time of day and it is so delicious. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast when Jeremy talks, especially to the New York and Boston listeners, about a PBS special that he'll be a part of that airs on March 7th. I look forward now to introducing you to Jeremy Rocksmith. Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing today, Heidi? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I am so excited you're here. So one of the reasons that I have this podcast, it's called Storybook. And one of the reasons for this podcast is so that we can hear inspiring stories from friends of mine, from people who are doing incredible work in the world. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you do now, what your work is now, and then tell us if there's a story, a time in your life where things weren't exactly going as you had planned, like with a job, or maybe you were living in a certain city and you had to move, some life change happened that you weren't expecting, and how that actually helped the work that you're doing now that seems so purpose-driven. So tell us a little bit again about the work, and then if you've got a story about how how you are where you are today. Uh, so firstly, what do I do? Many things. Um, so I'm the executive chef, obviously, and so I'm in charge of all of the menu design and, you know, kind of the whole dining and food service department. Um, I do a lot of teaching, so I'm interacting with the guests. And, you know, it's kind of a beast. Um, we do about four, close to 400,000 meals a year. Um, everything's cooked from scratch. Um, Kapala is definitely a unique um, food service program, something that I never would have envisioned myself working in, you know, 30 some odd years ago when I first started cooking. Um, but it's also probably one of the most fulfilling um, positions that I've ever had um, in, in any restaurant, just because of, you know, you, you know, you're familiar with the work that Kerpalo does and, you know, empowering individuals and stuff like that. And so it's, you know, a lot of times for years, you, you know, you spend years cooking in the back, never seeing who you're cooking for. And um, being at Kerpalo, you know, you're really you're providing that food that's supporting people in the work that they do. Plus you're interacting with them, you know, you're seeing people make changes and things like that. So, so it's really quite fulfilling. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but could you actually talk to me a little bit more about how you actually get to see the guests? Because I know for me, when I see you walking around out and about, I am so excited to see you and to get to thank you for the food that you're making. But I know that you see the guests and you interact with them more than just walking through the dining hall. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you interact with the guests a little more? Well, it started here. I t- on a Tuesday nights, I do um, an hour and a half uh, presentation for R&R, cooking demonstration. Um, yeah, I started doing probably two years into being here. Um, so that created more of the guest experience. I mean, one of the things I should back it up that's that I found most unique about Kapala when I got here, I remember the first day I was working and we were going to eat, you know, the staff was, and I said, okay, cool. What part of the basement do we go to to eat? And they said, no, you eat in the dining room. And I'm like, what? Like that's unheard of in most restaurants. So right off the bat, you're getting much more guest interaction. One, you're wearing a chef's coat. So you're a moving target. (laughs) I see you as a moving target, Jeremy. I totally see you as a moving target. (laughs) It's totally it. Well, I remember the first day I was sitting in the dining room eating and these guests walked by and they were just like, are you one of the chefs? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think I've been here maybe three days. And they were like, the food is amazing. And they were like bowing down. I'm like, this place is amazing. I was like, where have I been all my life? And, um, but then two days later, someone came up to me and they're like, are you the chef? I'm like, yes. And they're like, I hate onions. And I'm like, oh, all right, cool. So this is a double-edged sword. So yeah. I mean, my thing is people like to have connections with the food. You see that more and more. So through the, through the classes that I teach, um, weekend workshops, you know, I'm a guest presenter on different programs with a Kripalu approach to diet, men's retreats. Um, I do cooking demonstrations for the family program. Last year I was, you know, cooking with kids and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of interact with a lot. And food is just, I mean, one of my first chefs told me this years ago, and he was like, always remember this, when it comes to food, everyone is an expert, you know, and I, I didn't really get what he meant, but everybody loves food, you know, and so I think when you're a chef and you're in a place, people want to interact um, 
anyway with you. And a lot of chefs tend to hang in back. And then you probably know, can figure out by now that I like being in front of people. <laughs> you know? yes. um, it actually gives me the energy for what I do and stuff like that. So I love engaging guests, you know. Um, and so I kind of look for it. You know, and that's how I engage is I look for folks and, you know, being here, I've been here almost 10 years. Um, you know, a lot of the guests I know by name, or if I don't know their name, I know them by the food that they asked me about last. <laughs> there's cilantro, there's noodles, you know, they all have yes. their names. Um, that but yeah, I mean, that's question, where they, that, you know, that brings up a question for me, Jeremy, though. I am curious how this is something I was thinking about before we got on the call today. Every time I've seen you, you're in such a great positive mood. Now, I'm sure that, that means maybe when you're not in a mood to be around people, you're just not around people. But you're saying that right. being around the guest helps fuel you, helps give you that energy. How important is it, do you think, to the outcome of the food, to the presentation of the food, to the experience the guests are having, how important is it that your attitude is positive and friendly and fun and that you're such a delight to be around. Do you think those two are correlated? They are. I've had guests actually say that to me. Um, you know, I had someone come through. They were, you know, just through the hour and a half presentation, they came up to me afterwards and they were like, hey, you know, they're like, dude, I love the food. But now I have this like deeper understanding of who's behind it. You know, and your light, your laughter, you're, you're not uptight, you're not preachy, you're not, you know, and then like, wow, that just now makes me appreciate it even more, you know, than that. I like, hearing, I like want, hearing that. I think that's very true. It is. Well, and I, and I think people, people want to know who's cooking food. And I always say, like, you can always tell a bitter cook's going to make bitter soup, you know, <laughs> and like, so you, you want to be as positive as possible. For me, you know, people, you know, I've, I've come to learn to myself that like, when I'm out with people and with people, it's like, no matter where I'm at before I get there, I could even be a little bit like, I'm not that into it. Once I'm around people, I, everything turns off. I mean, for me, honestly, it's meditative because it's like everything else goes away and I'm just engaged with that person or that group and I'm in my flow at that point, you know? So I definitely get something out of it as well. I think it's really a gift that people who come get to spend time with you. And I remember growing up when we would go to certain restaurants, if the chef would come out and we would have a chance, it felt like, and tell me if you get this experience or not, to me, it sort of felt like you're meeting the rock star because like you said, the person's usually behind and hidden and you're just seeing the mm. food, but it almost feels like, Ooh, we just met the chef. You know, it feels like yes. <laughs> get that. Does it feel that way? Yeah, it has. Now, I mean, what, God, when I first started cooking, it was far from that. You know, like cooking has become, you know, the chef rock star thing has become so popular in the last 30 years. But like when I first started cooking, it, was, it wasn't so much that, you know, it was kind of like, you know, oh, you're a cook. <laughs> and then obviously people became more interested in food and just, you know, people just love to be entertained by food. The amount of television people watch, you know, people cooking and things like that, it blows my mind. And um when I started teaching prior to coming to Canyon Ranch, it was like 2004 or five, um, is really when it was kind of gearing up for its second round of like, you know, the chefs as the superstars. And it was interesting to me to actually be teaching and watching how people engage with chefs and things like that. The most interesting thing to me was I assumed that everyone was cooking because everyone was so into food. And then I quickly realized that, no, everyone has time to watch someone else cook. <laughs> but when you ask them if they can cook, they're like, I don't have any time for that. Recently, I was talking to a friend of ours. I was talking to my friend Suda and telling her how much I love the show called The Good Place and that it's my favorite show. And I was saying it's my favorite show of all time. And she made me laugh and she said, oh, so not your other favorite show? And I said, what's my other favorite show? And she said, Cupcake Wars. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot I love Cupcake Wars. And it just makes me remember that I love watching certain shows. And for me, actually, the reason why I love those shows, I think, Again, the entertainment, the people are fun to watch. They have a big personalities. But also that actually for me is, a, is the level of drama that my nervous system can handle. Like I can handle right, the level of right. drama of people dropping cupcakes. But that's been like, that's <laughs> I've had a long day of work. That's the drama level that I'm up for. But that's what they say about food, that, you know, it's like the food is entertainment, you know, um, it was joking about like one of those, the food network or something was being played everywhere. Like you'd see it 
at the bank. You'd be waiting, you know, and, that, and you know, what was the other place? Was it schools, hospitals? They would always saying that Food Network would be playing in the background. And then I was reading that there was actually a funeral parlor in the Midwest that, in their waiting room, that was the only they had a television. That's what they played. And they asked them, "Why do you do that?" And they were like, "Because food is the most like." neutral sort of thing. Like you were just saying, it's not something that's going to drive someone over the edge. It can be relaxing, you know, and that's what they're saying. The hospital people are ill watching food. It's like watching people cook makes them happy. So it has the complete opposite effect for me, but like, I usually am watching. I'm like, why do they do that? What are they doing? You know? And, uh, you know, it's what they didn't get. Everyone's like, do you watch that show when you go home? I'm like, do doctors go home and perform surgeries? Do dentists go home and put in fillings. I'm like, I'm a cook. I'm not going home to watch somebody cook for two hours. That's the last thing. But that's funny because it just inspired a, a moment of uh, when I was anticipating something going on one way and how it kind of switched switched things up for me. And it would, it would pertain to, there was a few things when you had mentioned it before we came on, there was a few different options that I had. But I think um, this is a good one. I think the first, I'm going to go kind of go back to the first time that I taught um, um, talk cooking for the first time. And, you know, I'll just kind of give you the backstory. I'd, I've, I'd worked in restaurants from starting at 14 years old up until about 33. Um, and my Jesus here, I took off from cooking, basically. Yeah. Um, I was building a house with my father. Um, I came from generations of contractors, hadn't done done work like that. And I just, I'd been in restaurants half my life. So I took a break and, uh, I was like, I've got food down. I'll get shelter down. I'll be set, you know? And, um, I also was just trying to get myself healthy, you know, at the same, you know, working in the kitchens, traditional kitchens for years took, was taking a toll. And, um, so I took a couple of years off and did that. And, um, you know, got, got in some lifestyle changes, things like that, working out and stuff like that. Realized I was not that great of a carpenter. And um, it was funny. I, I was like, I my father said, he goes, so what are you going to do after this? He's like, because I hope you're a way better chef than you are a car- carpenter. And uh, I said, you know what? I haven't done healthy food. And that that's what I ended up doing. And uh, so at the time, I had been managing kitchens for years. And I just, I just wanted to get back to the craft. And I think anybody that, you know, starts out in a craft – you work for it for years. Once you get to that management level, sometimes you can get separated from what you love, you know? And, um, I just wanted to get back to cooking. I didn't want to manage. And, um, so there were two options. I applied at Kripalu and the chef at the time was like, I wanted entry level. I didn't want anything management. And, uh, she was like, you're way overqualified. Come back in four years. And I was like, okay. Um, and I ended up over at Canyon Ranch teaching. Um, well, I didn't teach. I was a line cook for a little while. And, um, I figured I was like, dude, I just want to line cook. And I think I got in like the first week, the first week I was loving it. You know, you get into the zone, the meditative place of line cooking. And I'm like, this is awesome. And then like the fourth night in when they were like, order 50 of this. I was like, oh, I'm bored already. You know? And, um, I was asked to teach after that. Interesting. And it was something that I never thought I would do. Um, I'd started out working in restaurants, like in front of the house, but I'd been working for years and back. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And, um, so about how old the, were you when you were teaching? I, I was teaching, it would have been 2006 is when I started teaching. So it was about four years before I came to Kerfalo. And uh, so it was a basic thing. I'll never forget the first day. And um, what it was, we would do a, an hour meal, three courses. And the first two, you would just plate, but describe how you would make them. And the woman that was training me, she's like, look, tomorrow I want you to go over you just have to explain how they how we make the soup, and I, it was like a mushroom soup or something like that. And uh, so we pour the mushroom soup, and like granted, like I I talk in kitchens, blah, 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 but I hadn't been talking in front of large groups and stuff. And uh, so the night before, I'm nervous, man. I'm totally nervous. So I'm like I'm writing down all these facts. I'm like I'm writing the mushroom manifesto, man. Like just going like way beyond. <laughs> I would love to see and, that. Uh, uh, Totally prepped. Like I'm, I'm, I've got Latin names from. I mean, I'm going crazy. And uh, so I'll never forget. I sit down. I get to the class, and it's, there's that nervousness of like speaking for the first time. And I, you know, I don't have a flow. And so I'm describing it, and I'm just kind of going through the steps. And but I'm just going way beyond. You know, basically what I was doing is I was at that point taking 20 years of cooking knowledge and trying to put it out all of it out in three minutes, basically. I was just verbally going blah onto the crowd. And I remember everyone just kind of had that look like, my God, man, this is too much information. And because I was like the flux capacitor of the mushroom combined, you know, I was totally out there and I'll never forget. Like it was going fine um, because it was a one-sided conversation. And I've been told I'm very good at those. And (laughs) we, uh, we got about halfway into it and all of a sudden, 
this guy raises his hand and I'm like, oh yeah, they ask questions. And it was like, you know, my mind, I hear like a record player scratch somewhere off in the distance. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, yeah, what do you got? And it was this guy and he says this and I'll never forget this. He looks at me and he goes, yeah, that's all great. He goes, can you just show me how to cut an onion and not cry? And that was it. And I looked at him and I'm like, what? And I'm thinking to myself, after all that information, that's what you got. But I looked at him and I was like, yeah, I can do that, man. And honestly, in that moment, it, it threw me off for one. And I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, so I showed him the onion and stuff. But it changed everything after that point. Because like I was saying, I, you know, watching how, you know, cooking had become so popular. And, you know, the, when I started cooking, the internet wasn't around. I remember when, before the internet, when we didn't know anything, we, we had no visuals back then, you know, like if you had a restaurant that was like a super awesome restaurant, somehow you'd have to scrounge the cash to get in there and eat. Cause you'd never see the food otherwise, you know, and even cookbooks back then, I mean, the, the photos in cookbooks, it was back in the illustration days you know, where it would just be like an illustration of an onion next to a dish or something like that. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of information, but then the internet happened. New York times food section got huge. So like I said, I expected everyone to be really in this level of cooking. And that's when I discovered that everyone was watching it, but not cooking. That is what happened really fascinating that, to me, you know, it's amazing. And, and so what happened at that moment was it basically shifted how it, it basically decided how I was going to teach, um, you know, and still teach. And what I realized it was, it was a lot of the information I had, there was a lot of things that I did that I, you know, I just, that I just knew and, and, you know, procedures, things that are techniques that I use in the kitchen that I really had no idea why they just worked and they just did it, you know, and, and the internet was on at that point. So I could look it up and stuff, but what it did was like, once that guy said that, it allowed me to kind of, I'll use some Kripalu speak. It allowed me to deepen my practice, so to speak. And in other words, like how to tell someone how to sear tofu, you know, like to break that down into something that someone could understand. And also in a way for me to kind of work through it and go, yeah, why do I do it this way? Why do I preheat the pan and do that? It allowed me to kind of deepen my cooking, you know, the practice, it actually, reinvigorated me and I started to enjoy it again, you know, on a whole different level because it was something that I hadn't done with it. Like I had been cooking whatever. And, um, you know, recently I read something, um, and it was a quote I had to do a on the fly meditation here, which a lead one, which never happens in any other workplace, only at Kripala, which is kind of awesome. And, uh, I just read this, heard this quote on the way to work. And it said the difference between the master, the only difference between the master and the student is that the master has failed more times than the student has tried. Wow. Right? And that's basically, I realized, that's all I'm doing, what I'm teaching. It's just people learn from my mistakes. They learn from the mistakes that I made 15 years ago, 20 years ago. They, made, they learn from the mistake I just made last week, you know. Um, and then I started to realize more about it with the cooking and stuff like that is, is – you look at a lot of cooking, you look at the evolution of food and like how it's been handed down. You know, you see it was a lot of, you know, people learning from their grandmothers or their grandfathers or whatever. And it was passed down that way. Um, you don't necessarily see that so much anymore, but what it tells me is that like, we've been cooking for years, for centuries, for thousands of years, we've been cooking. And it's something that we've all like, we all can do. You know, it's in us, but it's just like we've kind of forgotten it. It's been kind of clouded, you know, society, et cetera, has kind of done that. And what I realize is all I'm doing when I'm teaching is just kind of reminding folks of what they know how to do, you know, and giving them a little technique and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so that's what I ended up doing. I, that was the first class I taught, and I taught for about four, you know, four and a half years there. Um, and I really just simplified my teaching. And what's interesting, know. just as a reflection, just to pause for a minute, what I'm hearing you say that is really interesting to me and a good reminder is that when you were cooking and just doing everything the way that you were cooking, everything was fine and it was starting to lose a little bit of its meaning or joy for you on some level. And it was when mm -hmm. you had to break it down for people like me and you had to break it down to here's how you heat a pan up. Here's what you would put in. Here's what you wouldn't put in. Those like basic basics it forced mm -hmm. you to slow down and appreciate those basics because we are the ones who are asking you to do them. So I feel, and I know this is what you said, but I'm just reflecting back. What I'm hearing you say is having to take it down to the basics and look at why you're doing what you're doing caused 
an appreciation, which then caused a joy in a new way. And then you were doing that as a teacher on a very regular basis. So you yourself continue to have to put yourself through the basics as you were teaching other people. You had to stay. Exactly. Exactly. And well, in a lot of now that you you saying that, in a a lot of ways, it kind of kept me in the beginner's mind, as they say in Buddhism. You know what I mean? Because of having to teach, it got me out of all the heady stuff and got me back to the basics. Beginner's mind, like you're open. You know what I mean? And you're just kind of living in that space. And, you know, and I realized too, it was like for a lot of folks that I was teaching, it wasn't a matter of like, hey, I just want to learn how to do this recipe. There were people that were had medical reasons that they needed to make changes in their lives. You know, so the last thing that I can do, the worst thing that I could do was would be to make it completely complex <laughs> and have the presentation be completely dry without any humor whatsoever. You know, because how would people take that with them at that point? And that's the other thing um, I wanted to share with you that you may not know, but maybe by now, you know, because of all the teaching you've done. When you said a few moments ago that you didn't realize people were watching cooking shows and weren't cooking when you realized that. Right. I don't know if you also realize that there are people in the world, like just what you were referring to, alluding to, who cooking, if you don't know how to do it, in all honesty, there can be a type of trepidation around it. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have medical issues on top of that. So if you're already having medical issues, which is upsetting and stressful, and then someone's telling you you have to cook and you have no idea how to do it, you really do it very basic. You make it seem easy, fun, enjoyable. And like you said, that had to have made a difference if there were people who needed to make that switch for health reasons. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's instilling the confidence because I think it's, it, the, the more relaxed I am in the teaching, people feel like they can do it. You know, And it's just to give people that confidence to walk away. You know, It's interesting with cooking, Heidi, because when I do weekend workshops, yeah, I always kind of get the one on, you know, what's your name? What are you hoping to learn? You know, what do you hate cooking? What do you like cooking? Whatever. And it's interesting to me because I can have 40 people and I'll have at least five or six people that they're there. And this is why they're there. Cause I hate cooking. Yes. <laughs> and it's funny. Cause I was like, you know what? I can guarantee there's not one person taking a yoga program right now that is answering that question and going, cause I hate yoga. So A, that's true, but B, I will tell you, so you're totally right. You have that unique perspective, like 100%. I will tell you, though, it is true when I teach certain classes that aren't yoga, let's say. It is true that for when I, sometimes when I teach a meditation class, sometimes when I teach the yoga of Shakespeare, you know, sometimes when I teach certain classes, it is funny because if I ask, they are almost coming there to sort of say, change my mind. They'll say, right. I know meditation exactly. is good for me, but I hate it and I can't do it. Change my mind. Or I've heard right. that I should like Shakespeare, but I don't. Change my mind. So I'm still agreeing with you that, yes, you're right. For the majority of things, no one's coming into a class saying, I hate this. <laughs> so you'll have a unique right. perspective. But but well, I think the level that they come to you with would could be very strong, like very strong. Well, the other thing about it with food is that there's the I hate this, but what's also attached to that, I think there's a little bit different. There's a difference between I know I should be doing this, but I'm not. It's okay, you know? And then there's I feel guilty because I'm not doing this. And that's what yes. I find with food is yes. there's a guilt factor. There's there a is. guilt factor. And it, and it usually comes down to if people have children, that they feel guilty because they're not cooking enough and feeding them healthy food or themselves or their loved ones and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of the difference is like, there's this, cause I always ask, I'm like, how many people cook a lot? And I'm like, how many people feel like they should cook more? And 90% of the room goes up yeah. and I'm like, and how many people think about cooking and there's a guilty thing that comes with it and half the room will stay up usually. The other you know? factor, Jeremy, that I wonder too, as you're talking about all this and the guilt that comes around it, that is different from meditation is that for me, meditation is one of the most important things to my life because my sanity is important to me and meditation ensures that for me in a way that oh, yeah. stress was you know hard for me before I learned how to meditate. So it's important to me, but it's not, as a person would say, essential the way that, I mean, you've got to put something in your body. You have to eat something. Right. And so you're, right. that's the other difference that I feel like you're, you're also getting at it's not just the guilt which is such a big difference but it's also you're gonna have to eat so how are you going to handle that situation right exactly exactly you know and i think that's the thing is when you get people you know i've had people walk away that you know they often send me a photo of their kitchen and they've wiped out everything in their kitchen and restocked it and made their moves you know i one guy lost 
think he lost 85 pounds since he's done two programs here. He lost 85 pounds. He's doing like CrossFit. So I think, you know, that's the thing is I think, you know, there's the guilt factor. You got to also realize with food, we've been, you know, we've been victims of marketing for the last, since the industrial revolution, you know, of, you know, hungry man meals and you shouldn't be cooking. You should be out be doing more important things. So it's like, you're kind of going against that. Plus there's time, you know, and how do you view time with cooking? You know, a lot of people are like, I don't have time. So for me, there's that level of like getting logistical with people like here, here's how you manage this time for cooking, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you have to make that time to do it. I spent most of my life busy with everything else, running and running and running, no time, no time, no time. And when I finally realized I really wanted to learn how to cook, luckily I was working with a nutritionist who said things like, okay, well, why don't you decide to prep food on Sundays and prep food on Wednesdays for the week? Like she was actually like you do, you know, giving like literal practical tools that I wouldn't think of. So Sundays you could do prep and Wednesdays you could do prep. That's one option. Just as I was starting Mm -hmm. to get used to having to make the time. And then I started realizing wow, grocery shopping takes time. Oh my goodness. Cleaning the dishes takes time. Oh my goodness. And I, and I started getting, I was like, I was like, there's so many steps to cooking. It's not just cooking. And then I was like, and then I don't have time to eat it because I spent all this time cooking it. And then I don't know how to cook. So I have emotions around that. So I feel like at first for me, at first there was such a resistance because I was like, who has time for this? So I have since graduated to other thoughts about it, but what I'd love to do is what is your response to that? If someone really never cooks, suddenly it's time to, and they're like, whoa, there's a lot when I'm cooking. What can you tell, talk to me about, about that? Well, I think, I think, you know, what I tell people is one is start where they are, you know? And I think that's the big, I mean, and this gets funny because the Carpalo teachings from other stuff, Carrie has kind of infused itself into my, in what I teach with cooking, but it's, it's, I always view practice as something, you know, like, um, I, I mean, I, I meditate, I'm not really a yoga person, but like when I would view, when I was first time I started meditating, it was like, I need to be on the mountain in a loincloth for a week. Then I'm meditating. You know what I mean? Like it was this extreme. And then I realized like, wait, it's committing to two minutes and then the changes happen, you know? Um, and that's one of the things that I realized with food, it's the same thing. I, and again, I just, I try to relate to, to, guests or students as to myself when I first started cooking. And when I first started cooking, it was all overwhelming. You know, I was in this restaurant. I've been working in a restaurant in the dining room, but the cooking was a different world. And there was just so much, so much. Where do you start? Where do you, you know, like you wanted it all, but you didn't have it. And, you know, but it's practice. It's really, it came down to practice. And, and one of the things that I learned was when I first started cooking, like I wanted to be like, way here, like way high, way high, you know, but I was already, you know, I was at ground level. And what I would do is I would always attempt to reach that high peak. And all I would do is falter, you know, and fall back down, get discouraged and whatever. And then I realized here, like the words that you could kind of put around how it solved was I was trying to meet the practice where I thought it should be rather than having the practice meet me where I was at. Right. So in other words, I was trying to cook 12 course tasting menus when I should have been just focusing on how do I cook rice? Something basic, you know? So that's what I kind of instill the students now is like, look, look for something that's obtainable, you know, commit to something that you can, that you can actually obtain. In other words, like, don't be like, all right, I'm going to cook seven meals this week. Pick one recipe. If that's where you're at, if you're the, I commit to steaming rice once a week. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. If you are, dude, I'm so beyond that. I'm going to start doing sous vide and all these crazy weird techniques. Go for it. But it's important to start where you're at and then kind of move from there. And that's where the changes start to happen. You know, the other thing is too, again, you know, we look at cooking, everybody's into the outcome of it, you know, but honestly, like the most I've learned from cooking and the stuff that's been most rewarding has come out of things that have gone wrong. In other words, something's gone wrong and I've had to figure out a way to get out of it. But I, so I learned how to get out of something like that, but I also learned, Hey, next time when you do this to a bean, this is what's going to happen to it. You know? So it's being able to accept failure as success in a lot of ways, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. So like cooking to me is like, like yoga meditation has changed. It changes with, you know, creates shifts within the individual and obviously affects those around them. Whereas cooking, it's instantaneous, right? So if I cook something for you, you are instantly being nourished with it. 
there's an instant change to the people around me for better or for worse. Or I could cook something really horrible and you're going to be like, this sucks, Jeremy. (laughs) And then we move on from there. But so, and that's what I tell people. And and, and sometimes people, what I've noticed is this anxiety that comes with cooking, right? I agree. And there's an anxiety to it. And I've been in classes. I had a class once that just got out of control. And um, it's funny. It was a fish class, eight people, Four of the eight show up with shellfish allergies. Not sure why you would go to a fish class, but hey, that's what, what it was. So I, <laughs> so I had, of course, I had a bunch of shellfish, so I had to quickly change the recipes, and they got really confusing. And it was like the tilapia, formerly known as scallops, and then, you know, it got all crazy. And there was this one guest, this wasn't here, it was somewhere else, and she was like, she got, I could tell she was getting upset, and all of a sudden she just blew, and she goes, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to be at home trying to cook this. There's going to be people in my dining room. I'm not going to. And I was like, oh, and I just, I let her go. Like the whole group, we just let her go. And then she finished and I, I looked at her and I, this is all I had. And this is what I repeat over and over again. The worst case scenario when it comes to cooking, I said, I want you to always remember this when you go in. Always remember this. The worst case that's going to happen is it'll suck. And you'll order out one more time. And that's it. And she did. She visibly relaxed when I said it. I was like, that's all that can happen. Like yeah. there's nothing else. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to, you know, have fun with it. Bring it to the person that's annoying you at work and gift it to them and see how they like it. I don't, you know, like don't let it. And it was funny. She totally, I watched her shoulders totally relax, you know, and I saw her two days later and she was like, that was the most important thing that I learned in that cooking class at that point. And I was like, Oh, I thought I was going to lose my job for a second. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's where it's at. And that's what, so that's what I tell people going forward is like, you can't have everything banking on this recipe. You know what I mean? Like you've got to approach it. Well, how you approach things is what you're going to get out of them. So if you walk into cooking, you're like, this isn't going to work. I don't have time for this. That's probably what's going to happen. You know, Um, it's just letting it happen and getting into the flow of it and, and, and instilling it into your life. But that's my thing starting where you're at, you know, in the book that I, you know, the Kripalu kitchen cookbook, you know, I do go into like, all right, this is how I would look at a week, you know, and that's what I teach in a lot of my workshops, the five days or even the weekends. It's like, here, this is how you set yourself up. And it does take a little bit of planning. You know, there's nothing that can be done without planning. But once you get into that flow of it, you get a few techniques, anybody can roll. Can roll and that's what, that. and you're going in just the direction of, you know, questions I had for you, which was, so to talk about what you were saying about the anxiety, one of the things that I learned about cooking when, like you said, I was like, I don't have the time for this. So I tried to change my attitude around it. I had the attitude because I just didn't know it took that much time. Like I was like, what? It takes this much. And then I like, I just didn't know. So I kept getting frustrated because I was like, and then it has to sit. And then I have to be cooking. Like I just, it just was a lot. I just kind of dove right in. And so what I wanted to say, and then I have a question for you, but what I wanted to say is, the reward, though, was so massive when I started cooking for myself that that was very inspirational. That, it, Like you said, it was an instant reward to say, wow, this actually turned out very well, and I'm eating something that I feel really good about eating. Like, it tastes really good. It's very flavorful, and then I feel nourished by this. And, and so the reward was immediate. And so the question that I have for you around what you were just starting to say is, what can you tell us about prep? So prep mise en place, man, that's the other name is, you know, everything in its place. And prep is key, I think, in a sense of like, so I'll give, you know, using the Capallo kitchen as an example. I mean, with the amount of meals that we do in a day, we can do 1800 meals. And so it's already chaotic at a certain level, but the organization comes from how we set up the prep. You know, so there's certainly, and a lot of people, that's where I think people fall short and they learn in classes is when we look at a meal, we're just looking at that meal. And what you have to start doing when you're at home is you got, you got to look at the week. You got to look out a little further because that's what you're doing in a commercial kitchen. So in other words, of like for us prep, there's certain things that can be done ahead of time, you know, that, so in other words, kitchens, so how do I say this? There's peaks and valleys in kitchens, you know, where it can be really slow and then really busy or just really, really busy or really, really slow all the time. And what what I strive for in the kitchen here is to kind of keep it right in that middle as much as possible, you know. So in other words, like there's a certain amount of work that you're doing to get the meal done that you're doing now, but obviously you're doing side work and prep for the next day. And it's the same thing at home. You want to like, you have to narrow in and like, and everyone's different. And I think that's where it's at is looking at like, what's your lifestyle like? You know, um, I used to tell people like, 
we tend to think because of the internet that like every meal has to be like an Instagram meal, you know, like 50 courses that looks amazing and stuff. And when I, to me, eating healthy is also about consistency. So like, I don't know, breakfast, I always tell people, I'm like, dude, find your consistent breakfast. Find your easy, consistent breakfast because that's what you're looking for. And there's two types of cooking. I have not said this yet, which is funny. There's cooking to entertain and then there's cooking to sustain. And cooking to sustain is very different from entertaining. That's an important distinction that I had never thought of, mainly because I don't think I can cook very well to entertain. But, but I love what you're saying. So I just wanted to pause for a minute and say I agree with you. That sounds like a wonderful distinction. It, it's it's huge, and I didn't realize it until I was not cooking for two years that there was that difference. And what I realized is I've been working in kitchens for so so many years that I ate all my meals there, so all of my meals were very much not like home cooked meals. They were thirty ingredient recipes because you had everything at your disposal. And then I took the two years off and was eating healthy, and all of a sudden I was cooking at home. And I actually had to buy food. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> this is hard, you know? Yes. And that's what I realized. I had to change my perspective of like, no, dude, like make a big batch of oatmeal. Keep it plain. You can eat it a couple of times a week. You know, there's your consistency in the morning. Maybe a couple of days you might have some eggs or some veggies, whatever it is. But there's my consistency. You know, what did lunch become for me? Well, lunch became, since I was at a job site, it became a matter of how do I work with my leftovers from the night before, do I make a little extra? Do I keep them plain so I have more options the next day to take those leftovers and make a meal out of it? Things like that. And that's how I began to focus is basically breakfast, very simple. Lunch was a way to utilize um, different things that I cooked in the evenings. And that's what I kind of teach. So like what I ended up doing was drilling it down to, you were basically focusing on one meal a day, right? And just having the killer sauce with it that brought everything together. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times when we look at meals, people get this perspective that everything on that plate has to be the star. And that's the way I started cooking. It was like, you know, it, nothing was ever like in the background. And what I mean is like people tend, you ever watch movies, you know, right? Where they show the movies and it's like, you know, you see that actor that you see all the time, but you don't know their name. You're like, I know that guy. And yes. they usually always play it like a prison guard or something like that. And you're like, I don't know who that, that's brown rice. It's just kind of hanging in the background, you know? And that's where, that's where it's at. So like my vegetables and grains and things like that, I kept very simple, very simple. And then I would just have to focus on the entree and the sauce that I wanted with it. And that would bring all the flavors to kind of together. So in my time off, that's what I did is I kind of simplified in that way. Um, you know, and vegetables, it was one of those things where, all right. Nice skills are the things that hold most people back, you know? So it's like my thing was always, you know, you have your shopping day. You grab the veggies you need. Most vegetables you can cut a day or two ahead of time. The only ones that I won't are like onions, tomatoes, red peppers. They get too slimy and stinky, et cetera. But most can be cut ahead of time, right? So you, you bang out those vegetables ahead of time, right? And then you're making greens. So you're making rice one day. It's just as easy to make a double batch as it is one. Make a double batch. Take out what you want for that night. Take the rest. You know, you're a shock pasta. You run it under cold water. Take the rest. Run it under cold water. Mm -hmm. Go from hot to cold. Bacteria doesn't build up. Stops the cooking process. Because how many times have you eaten leftover rice and it's just that ball of like nasty, smushy stuff because it's so overcooked, right? Yes. The grain stays separate. So check this out. You do that one night. You've got the grain. So then the next night you come home. Guess what? Your vegetables are cut. Your grains are cooked. All you have to do is make whatever the main is that you decide or just roll with those two. That you know? makes a lot of sense. And that really you know? shows where you're cutting the time that it takes the next day. Right. So what you're doing is on that one day off, you're taking some focused time to work on your knife skills. See, on that day off when you're prepping those those veggies, guess what you can do? You can pick a couple of grains, cook them off, and shock them. Now you've got your grains and your veggies set for the next three or four days. And then you just have to focus on one thing. You know, I tell people one day a week, you should make a one pot meal. You make a one pot meal, they're easy. Just as much effort to double it as it is to make a single batch. Double it, have your soup and salad lunch, take the rest, freeze it, throw it in small containers. And one of the things I teach is there's the fine line between a pureed soup and a sauce. So if you're doing black bean soup, pureed, that one morning when you're like, oh, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. Oh, pull out that container of black bean soup. Oh, look, I've got veggies cooked over. Oh, there's the rice that I cooked over here. Reheat, reheat, maybe sear some tofu or chicken. There's your black bean sauce, rice, veggies, you're done. You know? So if you're doing a, if you're doing a, um, 
one pot meal once a week, you start creating this little arsenal of backup flavors in your freezer that you can have. You know, one day a week is a kitchen is a kitchen sink. It's basically get out all your veggie scraps that you have in there, do a stir fry or do a miso broth soup with the noodles or rice or something like that, you know? So I kind of have a framework that I give people for that week that they can kind of work from. But again, obviously everyone's different. So they have to kind of cater to what they want. A lot of times when we think about meal eating healthy, we think about making the four gallon pot of that healthy stew that we then exist on for the next week, (laughs) you know, and the flavors get boring and you just get bored and you're, and and now all of a sudden you feel like you're sacrificing and, Oh, guess what? Your your healthy way of eating is no longer a sustainable way to be because now you feel like you're sacrificing and da, 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 you know why I keep the veggies and grains simple? I can eat brown rice more than once a week, but if I make the southwestern brown rice, guess what I'm stuck with? Yes. You know, so it's like one night I do southwest, the next night, you know what? I want to do a stir fry. So I sauce ginger scallions, ginger scallions and garlic. Done. You know? That reminds me of the other thing I wanted to to ask you about too. When I started cooking for myself, like you said, I was doing certain things, just trying to keep it simple. I finally figured that out. And what I didn't realize, and tell me if you've run across this before, if this just sounds like a, a Heidi Spear situation. but Spearism? Yes, yeah, <laughs> um, What I realized is when I went out to eat, I tended to order the same kinds of food that I mm-hmm that I liked. And I didn't have a lot of variety in my personal preferences. I would sort of get the same old things on the menus. When I went out with my parents, we tend to go to the same type of restaurant. When I started to cook for myself, I started to hear about, oh, there are spices. And then I started to use spices and that changed my whole life. And so I wondered, what do you think about that? The role of spices in cooking? And like you said, especially if you have basics around, you started to talk about doing different kinds of things with rice. What do you think the importance is of spices? And and do you think people have familiarity with that? It depends. I think more, more and more, I think people do. I think younger people do. You know, you look at kids and look at their dining programs in like college campuses and they've come, like that's how they're getting students to come now because there are, there's just a lot of kids have bigger palates, you know, more, more ethnicities and things like that. You have different cultures coming in. Um, so I think people are getting turned on to more spices than they never have before, you know, um, thanks to the internet, I guess, in a lot of ways too, because you're seeing things. But that's the spices are the biggest thing. That's when, when most of my classes, that's the one thing that everybody wants to learn is how do I cook with spices and what spices do I cook with? And it's, it's, it's interesting because you realize that like, especially in this, in this country, I mean, we've got pockets of, of, you know, kind of culinary and, and cooking stories of how people eat and stuff like that. And it's different everywhere you go. Um, so I think spices, you know, for a lot of people are new, we're, you know, we know our basics are basil, oregano, <laughs> thyme and stuff like that. Well, I feel like the things, the things you would put on a pizza, I feel like is what people right. know. like oregano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that they don't know. I mean, just to segue the idea, you know, the book has a lot to do with Ayurveda and that is incredible because Ayurveda, along with many other things, the spices you start to learn, if you're interested in Ayurveda, you start to learn just the benefits that these spices have. not only do they taste great, but boy, oh, yeah. boy, are they amazing for your digestion. And because that's the other thing, if you're just eating pizza all the time and you get used to it and your body gets used to just wanting that easy pizza, you're not filling it with spices that actually help your digestion or without getting into Ayurveda and talking about all of yeah, this. Yeah, right. There, it's just like I remember my grandmother used certain spices, and then I find out the different benefits of rosemary, and I'm thinking, wow, I thought she was just putting rosemary in things for flavor, which she may have been doing, but she was from Italy, and there are a lot of health benefits too. Yeah, well, I mean, this the whole food is medicine, you know, is what it comes down to, and I think like we've we we have lost touch with that. You know, people just look at spices as a flavoring agent. And now, you know, the last 10 years, it's becoming more mainstream. Like, no, spices are there for a reason. You know, you look at the spices that are coming out. Every spice that's grown with every culture, like, that's something for them to have there. You know, I was just in Jamaica, and, like, I was out in the jungle, and this guy's, like, he's pulling pimento down, which is what they make allspice with, and he's grinding it and shaving sticks, and he's showing me how to make the jerk chicken. And all the stuff was in, like, 20 feet of where he was. You know, everything was right there. And like, how did he learn it? He learned it from his father. How did he learn it? From his father, you know, and it's just passed down the line. Um, 
So I think, you know, in our culture, we've been kind of pulled away from spices, but there's definitely more people using them, I think. But that, that is the biggest thing is like, what spices do I use? How long do they, I mean, that's the one that always gets people. I'm like, how long have your spices been in your cabinet? <laughs> so I always joke with people. I'm like, so your spices, go to, your, go to them right now. They're someplace cool and dry as they're supposed to be above or to the left or right of your oven. Cause that's where most people keep them. <laughs> and then the, uh, one of them has been there longer than six months, the ground ones. And that one, no, the whole one's usually 10 months. Some people say that they can last forever. I don't think so because no, spices do contain, they contain oils. So they will, they can go bad. So what happens with spices is you lose the nutritional value of it, but you also lose the flavor at a certain point, you know? Um, and there's this idea of like, I mean, people have spices. I, my mom has a thing of um, nutmeg. I swear. I remember it when I was four. It's been in there that wrong. <laughs> like, that does. Willing it, willing it down. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, it, and you know, it makes again, me laugh because Jeremy, the thing that makes me laugh about the spices, what I want to share with you is I now treasure them so much. Like my turmeric, I have so much turmeric. My, my best friend, came over to stay with me and I came into the kitchen. I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm organizing your spices for you. Do you mind? And I said, no, sure. And she said, the trick is Heidi make all the labels face front and then it looks tidier. And she said, and why do you have four turmerics? <laughs> like she had to put Obviously all the together. I was like, I don't, don't want to run out of that. So anyway, I just wanted, I just wanted to say, celebrate spices and, and hear your take on that. No, I think spices, you know, they're the spice of life, man. I mean, they definitely, I think more and more people get excited than they have in the past. I know for me, I did not grow up eating spicy food or spices at all. Like it was a very basic diet. And like I said, my first restaurant gig, you know, it's a restaurant owned by some British guys. And they, of course, had this amazing curry with the pompadoms and the chutneys. And I had never in my life, I was 13, had never in my life had food like that. Like had no idea what it was. And like, I remember the first time tasting that and it just changed everything for me at that point. And then fast forward four years later, I was in that kitchen. Um, I remember he would go down to the city cause we were living up here in the Berkshires. He would go down the city and that's where he would get the garam masala from the city. And it would come in these crazy bags with this crazy colorful writing on it and wow. just like, it just yeah just awesome and i remember making the curry with I and mean, it was i gotta go back and see if i can get this recipe but it was apples the garam sauce something else but then it was old school we'd run it through a food mill that was my job running it through the food mill to get it smooth and like yeah so for me it's, it's interesting what i like for me when i first worked in the kitchen was i distinctly remember the smells you know, like I remember the smell of bay leaves and like a bay leaf. I was like, what is this? You know, and just like all of those little things. And it's funny because I can be in the kitchen once in a while now and I'll something will get me and it'll bring me back somewhere, you know, to some restaurant that I worked at or something like that. You know, I love hearing that because I have read so much how the sense of smell, the olfactory sense is very much attached to memory and it's very much attached to, oh, yeah. and, which is why lavender it's one of the few things that I've seen is medically um, it's medically proven that lavender can induce relaxation for a lot of people. I love lavender. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. And what you were saying before is food as medicine. I really love when I've heard Dr. Hyman emphasize it when he's really emphasized it to say, when he says food as medicine, he really means it. And I'm hearing you too, but as literal, it's not an analogy food. as You know, that's the same thing. It's, you know, the food is medicine. It's, you see a lot now. I have friends that work in, you know, in substance abuse centers and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and that was one of the things one of my buddies saying, he's like, you know, we're very focused on the clinical and the spiritual and all that. He goes, but then the food we're serving, the food isn't healthy. You know, right. and it's interesting to me, you see that in a lot of places that, you know, they're, it's, you know, the work that they're doing is good work, but we're missing that foundational piece of it all starts with food. What you put into your body as fuel <laughs> is going to dictate how efficiently or well your body is going to function. And that includes your mind, your thought. I mean, I, I you know, talked with Drew Ramsey and he talks about using food for depression. You know, and he's a psychiatrist. It's like, no, food is where it begins at this yes, point. And it's, it's great to see 
making these. I mean, it's common sense to me. It's intu- I mean, Ayurveda is that way too. Ayurveda, it's a very intuitive, and we know it. But we just it's, it's like we've got distance from it. But now we're getting back to the reality of duh. <laughs> like, yes. We need to do something about this. You know? Well, and to circle back to one of my earlier questions and, and the story that you were sharing with us, what I'm gleaning from this conversation too is from your early from your early jobs in cooking. You never could have imagined not only a rock star status of a chef, you never could have known or imagined the importance of food and health and nutrition. Like this is, you are in a field right now that is absolutely crucial on so many levels to everybody's health and well-being. Everybody's health and well-being is depending on what you're doing right now. And what I'm hearing you say is a long time ago when you were 14, you weren't going into this field to become a kind of doctor, healer, physician. And I'm not even saying you think of yourself that way now, but I'm just saying right. what you're providing is so necessary in this day and age because of what, how far we've gotten away from it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, for me, I, the one thing that's been constant throughout the whole career and what I liked from the first day I worked in a restaurant was I, I like the environment, you know, I, I loved the, I just I remember the guy that I worked for was just amazing with people and he would host and he could make 200 people, each individual feel like they were in his living room just with him at once, you know, like everyone felt special and he would just create this amazing vibe. I realized, I realized later the food probably wasn't that great, but the vibe was amazing. And for me, what I realized later on in life that that's something, that's what I've always loved about food. You know, um, so it continued on to, you know, ski areas, catering, doing weddings for people. I've done funerals, you know, I've done engagement part. I've done kind of everything. And then the final frontier, you know, was really getting into the health stuff. And you look at Kerpalo, it's a giant spiritual wedding. <laughs> like everybody's coming together and it, there's, there's just more to it's holding a space for someone else to do the stuff, you know, to celebrate their life or to do, do the work that they want. When I got to Kripalu, it's funny, there are many things in my life that all came together at once. It's, you get that vantage point as you get older of like, oh, I see why this happened and that happened. And and that was one of the things was I realized I'm like, in a lot of ways, this is a wedding. And, you know, I, I say that like, what makes the food great is the programming. It's the experience people. It's noon dance. It's the grounds. It's all of those things coming together that the person or the guest is experiencing and then going in to have that food. You know, and the food is just kind of the icing on the cake at that point, you know. Well, and, um, and really, like you said, thinking about it in that way that you're talking about it, too. There's a lot of people, like you said, that you're cooking for. The amount that you said, talk about anxiety. Just, I had to do some deep breathing when you talk about how many meals that are served in a day or a year. Right. But at the same time, I've been coming to Kripalu for a long time, and... When I was there for this recent New Year's, you talk about beginner's mind. It feels like I came there for New Year's. Of course, there's so many great things about New Year's Eve, especially I feel at Kripalu. It's a wonderful place to be for New Year's. And then to go in and see, first of all, there's no way I could have even tried everything that you had there. There's no way. It it all looked beautiful and gorgeous. And there's no way I could have tried it all. But my point in bringing it to this conversation is that I felt, I felt this joy of almost a beginner's mind because it doesn't feel, if you feel like you're having a meal that you feel like you've seen a million times everywhere in your life, or it's the same old, same old thing, not in your own kitchen, but when you're out, but there's something about the meals at Kripalu that I feel brings me to a beginner's mind because I haven't seen things made that way or what an interesting combination or different things like that. So I feel like there's also a beginner's mind in how you're serving the food and what you prepare. Uh, right. Oh yeah. No, I could see that for sure. You know, yeah. I think like, you said, well, that's the other thing, you know, folks come in and it's, you know, that's one thing about the food here. I to, I, at least once a month, I get somebody telling me that like, Hey, I just want to let you know that it's my first time here. I have a huge bag of snacks that I brought with me. Yes. I just want to let you know that I have not touched them yes. because people are expecting that they're just, that we're just giving them beans all week. We've all done it, you know? Oh, so you're there. All right, cool. So, you know, and, and to me, that's like the best compliment because it's like they, 
they're coming in and they're like, there's a kind of like, oh, they're already nervous about the work they may be doing. And like the last yes. thing I want to do is scare them away with the food, you know? And yes. So I find that that's what's interesting to me is that people come in. So then they get pleasantly surprised. Yes. And they're like, oh, cool. Yes. And then all of a sudden they can start exploring things that they haven't had and be like, oh my gosh, I can do this, you know, and, and walk away with it. And, then, and that's the space that we create for them, you know? So I have so. one request and then one final question. All right, what you got? My request is, we were talking about spices earlier. Mm -hmm. I think it would be great if you started making different kinds of spicy chocolate. Oh, okay. That's my favorite thing is spicy chocolate. So, you know, the kind of different kinds of Mexican chocolates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, we could really have to take my advice at all. But since I have you on the phone, I just wanted to say that I love spicy chocolate. Everybody shoots me there. <laughs> I know. I figured. I figured that's. Part you might of as it. well. Yeah, I figured. Why not get well, it? Well, I'm working on. I'm working on spring menus, and we are looking at new desserts. So I'm all about it. So I like spicy and chocolate as well myself. Okay. So well, if I see good. it, then I will. I will definitely try it. And then, okay. The final. My final question is: Out of all of the things that you have cooked for Kripalu, or that are in the Kripalu Kitchen Cookbook, or if not, then just in your life. What is something mm-hmm. that you feel gives you the most joy that you cook or that someone else might find a lot of joy in cooking? It's, it's a strange thing because like, I, for me, sometimes it's just cooking off the cuff. You know what I mean? Like I go home and I don't have any plan whatsoever, you know, and I, I just like start that. throwing so it's more about the together. approach. Just, yeah, it's just about like, what do I have? You know, like I, this weekend I did it. Like I was at home and I always do weird stuff and I'm like, I didn't, we didn't have any eggs and you know, and I was like, Oh, you know what I'm going to do? And I, so I had something for toast, Apollo toast, peanut butter. Um, this is so weird. Peanut butter. What else did I put on it? Cocoa nibs, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds. What was the other thing? Kimchi. <laughs> I sprinkled some kimchi over it. Yeah. Peanut butter, dude. Peanut butter. Right? It was awesome. This was, this was at home? <laughs> yeah, totally. Did I put something else on there? Oh, some raisins. I put some raisins. Forgot about the raisins. It was phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where I'm like, this is so weird, but so good. And you know what? It's totally healthy, and I feel good about it right now, and I like it. You know? That's awesome. I, I, like, for some reason, I, I just loved it. But I think for me, is um, my kids. I, it's cooking stuff for my kids kids i think is where i get the most out of it and it's the simple breakfast things i you know i've been my one daughter jasmine really likes to cook and bake and like so we do things in the morning where i'll you know i'm like all right here's an egg and like telling her the low heat the high heat and you know just stuff like that that's the stuff that i like i like i like teaching my kids and and cooking with them i love to hear that thank thank you for thank you so much for sharing that because i love to hear that it really again for you and i think this true for all of us in that case it's about the atmosphere that's created it's about the relationships that are going on it's about food as this common denominator between all of us so it doesn't even sound like it's about what is the thing you're making it's more the approach who you're with and getting to enjoy the process exactly exactly and it brings people together you know that's what i always say if you look at any good movie what do they use to get the whole cast together a meal yes i've heard a lot of that's people easy- tell me that it's the easiest way to bring them in. So it's the easiest, it's the same way in life, you know? And, I love uh, it. That's for me, like just connecting with my kids. It's something that I know how to do and I love and it's a great way, a great thing. I want them, I don't want them walking in with that stress that we all went through <laughs> about cooking, you know? To me, it's a skill that we should all have. You know? I agree. And, uh, and you make that so yeah. accessible, in, so accessible in the Kripalu Kitchen cookbook. So my, my question for people who are listening to this podcast is if they want to learn more either about you or about the Kripalu Kitchen Cookbook, what's the best way to find you if they want to learn more about you or, or be in connection with you in that way? Um, I just started doing the social media. I'm on Instagram at Jeremy Rocksmith, and then I'm on Facebook at um, under Chef Jeremy Rocksmith. And then programs and stuff, all my programs are listed on um, Kripalu.org from there. And then, um, oh, March, when is it, March 9th? No, March 7th, New York and Boston peeps. I'm going to be on a PBS. I was on Peggy Cappy's PBS special, Yoga for Stress and Anxiety, 
we actually did a uh, cooking portion um, here at Kerpalu on that episode. And I think that, yeah, it runs in New York and Boston on the 7th of March, which is a Saturday, I believe 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. that day. Wow, that's a great announcement. Yeah. That's really yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. You know, and we, it was great. We got to really talk about what just what we talked about, like you know, not necessarily what you eat, but how we go about this, so we don't create more stress and anxiety. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank yeah. you so much for taking this Thanks, time, Heidi. and I'm so excited that we get to share this information with other people. Totally psyched. Thanks for having me. And um, once I get that spicy chocolate recipe, I'll let you know. You'll be the first. You'll be our test. Oh, you got it. You're our official chocolate tester. You're in. Thank you so much, Jeremy. <laughs> no problem. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks.